This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Today, I was joined by Amanda Nyberg, who's a registered dietitian specializing in weight loss nutrition. She joined us in episode 23, hard to believe, back when the podcast was relatively new. I brought her back today to really talk quite a bit about weight loss resistance and specifically reverse dieting, why it's important, how you actually do it strategy-wise. We touched on metabolic adaptation, the diet industry, nutrition apps, as well as scale management. And then, you know, spoke specifically about why protein is the most important macronutrient we consume and how and why many women are under eating, over exercising and deficient in their protein needs. I hope you will enjoy our conversation and definitely keep me abreast of other topics you would love to learn more about. Amanda, it's a pleasure to have you back again. You were on, gosh, I had to go back through episode 23. So when I was like a newbie podcaster long, long ago, three years ago, you're one of my first guests. So thank you for coming back. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. So this is obviously, you know, talking about reverse dieting, that was the impetus for kind of reaching out because I saw you had quite a bit of content on it. But obviously in our businesses, we are talking to women multiple times a day, all day, every day about the role of nutrition and intermittent fasting. And I just found, you know, when I was kind of reflecting on the diet industry and there it's a $71 billion a year industry. And we recognize Wow. So like knocking on the door of a trillion. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you really think about it, what I love about both of our businesses is we're talking about sustainability, things that you can do lifelong, not potions, pills, and powders, which is unfortunately the bulk of what the diet industry has really evolved into. Can you let listeners know a bit about your background? Obviously, we'll include with our show notes, but I think in terms of context and for everyone that's listening, Amanda's a registered dietitian, but she's a, a very woke registered dietitian, in fact, very aligned with a lot of my own ideas and perspectives and dogma. And so she has so much experience working in this industry, working in traditional allopathic medicine, pivoting away from that, and now has a very, very successful fitness business. But share with listeners a little bit about your background, just so they have context about our conversation. Yeah. So I'm Amanda Nybert. I'm a registered dietitian. I've actually worked in the field of weight loss for going on about two decades, so 20 years. I started my career in the clinical setting and kind of quickly transitioned into the role of a weight loss dietitian, working with morbidly obese um, patients who had, you know, more than a hundred pounds to lose, diabetics, you know, renal patients, um, and did that for a good 16 years until I kind of branched out into this online space. And it's kind of like what you said, you know, initially, when I look at my education, I was taught the whole, you know, calories in versus calories out, fat is bad for you, you know, kind of the, all the dogma that we grew up with. And it wasn't until my own experience working with clients over and over that I realized, wow, we've got nutrition really wrong. And we're kind of doing everything exactly the opposite of what we should be doing. And it took my own experience with high cholesterol to realize that the nutrition model had to change. And I always called myself the renegade dietitian because I was the only dietitian in the hospital carrying around butter and eggs and olive oil to teach my clients about where all the other dietitians were, you know, carrying around. I can't believe it's not butter spray and country crock and, you know, margarines and low fat, fat free stuff. And it was hard, you know, to kind of get people to realize that what they had been taught for, you know, decades was potentially making them more unhealthy than what they should be. Yeah, it's interesting because I think about science writers like, you know, Take Holtz and Gary Tobes that have had such a profound impact on my own kind of nutritional evolution in terms of looking at what I used to say to patients when I was a baby nurse practitioner in the early 2000s, 
versus what I talk about now. And I still think there's so much room to change and improve. And obviously all of us in this space are are trying to make a large impact on people's lives. And when you really think about 88.2%, and this is a 2018 study, so I'm sure given the pandemic, given the last two years, it's very likely worse than that. It's time for people to wake up and to really recognize that when we're looking at nutrition, we need to look at it as, as fuel and we need to be realistic about things that we need to eliminate from our diets. And especially a lot of those faux fats, fake fats, I always say, if they take fat out, what do you think they add more of? (laughs) Generally not to our advantage by any stretch of the imagination. And so, you know, from this kind of antiquated dogma that you and I are, are obviously alluding to and talking about, whether it's the calories in calories out model, whether it's eating, you know, frequently with mini meals and snacks, which couldn't be farther from the truth. I think on many levels, when we're looking at weight loss resistance, we're looking at weight loss, women in particular really are, if they kind of ascribe to that old methodology, those old methodologies, they're really setting themselves up for disappointment because they won't have something that's sustainable. If you're constantly counting calories, very different than counting macros. And I'm sure that we'll probably kind of dive into that today. So when you're working with your female clients and for anyone who doesn't know Amanda, you need to check out her Instagram and her reels and her TikTok. I mean, she's this incredibly animated, athletic woman who's ridiculously fit and a total realist, which I value and appreciate about you enormously. You practice what you preach, but you also really stress moderation, not deprivation. So people can like navigate their lives and still have a life and not feel like they have to live like Spartans. So what are some of the strategies when you're working with women, when they're stuck, what are some of the things that you do? I and mean, we'll touch on reverse dieting, obviously, but what are some of the other things that you think about when women come to you and say, I've done all the things and nothing's working? Yes. And I mean, I think that that's where, uh, you know, a lot of women are, is they think that they're doing all the things and things are not moving. And I always say, I start with the unsexy stuff. You know, a lot of times it's not necessarily about calories and macros. A lot of times it's about sleep, especially as we age, you know, women, as we, you know, are pre postmenopausal, I feel like sleep matters probably the most with regards to that recovery and your ability to, you know, reduce that belly fat that we kind of all tend to accumulate as we age. So I'll look at my clients' sleep patterns. I'll look at their exercise programs. You know, are they a cardio, you know, junkie? Do they live on a treadmill and a spin bike? You know, is their percent body fat higher? You know, do they lack muscle tone? Um, I always say the easiest way to increase your metabolism as you age is to build lean muscle mass. So sometimes we've got a lot of, well, we have a lot of people out there that we can even consider skinny fat, mm-hmm. you know, where maybe their weight is in a normal range, but their body composition is way off track. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of research out there that shows that those types of people are sometimes more prone to diabetes and hypertension than, you know, someone who's, you know, morbidly obese. So we'll look at body composition. I'll look at stress, you know, cortisol. How's your cortisol? Are you living on caffeine all day long? Are you, you know, wired and tired, you know, so we'll look at that and then also look at quality of your food choices. You know, sometimes it's not always about quantity. It's about the quality of the food you're eating. You know, there is this kind of a I call it like bro science, you know, kind of um, macro approach where they call it, if it fits your macros. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure your listeners know macros is just short for macronutrients, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And it's basically saying, you know, you can eat whatever you want as long as it fits your macros. Mm -hmm. But I find specifically for women that that approach tends to backfire because of the inflammatory response of gluten, dairy, sugar, and alcohol. So, you know, looking at the quality of your food choices as well. I think those are all really important. I mean, I tend to be really transparent about the sleep piece, you know, as women get closer and closer to perimenopause, their ovaries are producing less progesterone. They may have mood changes. They may have significant sleep impact. And I always say, if you can't sleep well through the night, that's the first thing that's so foundational to, you know, our health on so many levels. So that's always number one. Number two, whether people realize this or not, we have more cortisol receptors in our abdomen. So I call it like the cortisol belly. 
which, you know, women will say, I feel fluffy. I don't know what's going on. And I always say fluffy. No one wants fluffy. You want your, you know, your whipped cream to be fluffy, but you yourself do not want to be fluffy. And then really touching on the food piece, which is always something, something I know you and I are really passionate about. And this might be a good kind of dovetail into talking about, you know, more advanced strategies that, you know, you and I both work with. We talk a lot about fasting, the value of fasting, but the concept of reverse dieting. So for someone who's been fasting for a while, I sometimes call it like a feast day, but it's a day to kind of remind your body, obviously reverse dieting is a a little bit longer process, but reminding your body you're not starving, kind of replenishing, you know, nutrients that you may have perhaps left off the table, literally and proverbially. So let's talk about what, you know, this is actually speaking to, because I think on so many levels, there's also this undercurrent, whether or not it's part of intermittent fasting or not, where people chronically undereat and they don't realize that that alone can fuel this, you know, weight loss resistance because their body thinks they're starving. And obviously that's a really important thing to unpack and, and really for people to be transparent about their habits, because I have women, and I'm sure it happens to you even more that they track their calories and their macros. And when they tell me how little they're eating, I'm like, my goodness. I mean, there's no wonder why your body's just like, uh, yeah. I'm not giving anything up because we're starting right. here. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, reverse dieting is another strategy that I use often with clients that have hit a plateau, but there's actually a lot of different applications that, you know, I would incorporate reverse dieting with my clients. You know, first and foremost, you cannot live in a caloric deficit. You have to take diet breaks. And I see this so often with clients looking, I mean, not everybody looking for a quick fix, but you know, when someone's looking for fast results, they, you know, always, you know, drop their calories to 1200 calories or less. And yes, you know, they kind of melt away initially, but eventually they stop losing. And, and I'm sure you hear this often, Cynthia, where people say, I've changed nothing. I'm doing all the same things. And I used to be losing a pound a week. And now I'm not losing anything. And, you know, they still have 20, 30 pounds to lose. And this is a really good sign that it's time for you to take a diet break. You need to take time to rebuild your metabolism so that you're not in that, you know, starvation mode where your body's just not apt to like you know, burn fat as fuel. So I will use reverse dieting for these reasons. Number one, you've hit a plateau and your calories are already super low. So if you're grinding it out at 12, 13, maybe even 1400 calories and your sleep's good and your stress is good and you're building muscle, you know, you're kind of doing all the things you're prioritizing protein, then it's time to take a diet break. It's time to focus on maintenance and it's time to reverse diet. I will also suggest reverse dieting, planning those diet breaks throughout the year. You know, for example, it's really easy to go on a diet in January, February, and March because everybody's on a diet, you know, everybody's kind of aligned with your goals where it's really hard to be in a caloric deficit in December. So I encourage my clients to really look at a 12 month period and map that out. I'm going to go in a deficit for 12 weeks. And then I'm going to take a break, you know, in the spring and summer and focus on maintenance. That's the key to reverse dieting. And then in the fall, I'm going to go back in a deficit, you know, for another 12 weeks. And then in the winter, the holiday season, October, November, and December, I'm going to take a diet break and focus on maintenance. And I feel like this is a really critical step that most people are missing because typically what I see is people have these big goals. I want to lose 60 pounds and they just force themselves to stay in a deficit until they get to 60 pounds. Well, it just doesn't work like that. So those are kind of the two scenarios that I implement reverse dieting with my clients, plateaus and just the need to like take a break because it's summer, boat season, Mm -hmm. vacation, holidays, you know, kind of things like that. So let's talk a little bit about you know, what reverse dieting is and and maybe why it's necessary. I think the most important thing that I want to emphasize that I see people doing wrong when they try to implement reverse dieting is that they gain a ton of weight. Like that's not reverse dieting. You know, the whole goal of reverse dieting is to sustain your current progress. You know, Mm -hmm. if you've lost 10 pounds, 20 pounds, then while we're reverse dieting, while we're building back up your calories, 
we want to maintain that weight loss. And so that's why it can be a little tricky because it's a little bit of back and forth with regards to, you know, adding back those calories. So that's really key. Number one is that, you know, sometimes you have to be a little bit more keen to the scale in maintenance than you do in weight loss, just to make sure that, you know, your metabolism is rebounding. And so when we talk about, you know, metabolic response with the body, and I'm sure you talk a lot about this, you know, with your clients and your listeners, your body adapts, you know, I mean, when you start at in a caloric deficit, and when my clients join my program, Lean, Living Energized and Nourished, I always tell them, I want to start you at the highest caloric deficit possible. And it always freaks them out because my calorie goals for them are always way higher than say what my fitness pal gives you or what a a BMR calculator gives you. And the reason for that is, is because, you know, I want to put you in a deficit, but I want to have a lot of room to move you through that deficit. So if I can start your weight loss at 1800 calories, then when you do hit a plateau, no weight loss, no inches loss, no change in body composition for four consecutive weeks, I have somewhere to take you. I can take you to 1600 calories and then ride that out. And then once we hit that plateau, I can take you to 1400 calories. So it gives you a lot to work with because in depth, you know, your body will adapt to the caloric value in which you consume. Okay. So there's no question about that. So that's really the first thing that I start out with, with regards to, you know, starting at that highest caloric deficit. A great deal about our focus on everyday wellness is on supporting gut health. And one of my new favorite ways to recommend to family and friends and even clients is to consider colostrum. And so Equip Foods has an amazing product that helps to improve immunity and gut health and recovery. And each scoop contains grass-fed, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free colostrum. And if you're wondering what colostrum is, it's a nutritional powerhouse that serves as the first source of nutrition for mammals in nature. It's been shown to enhance immune function, gut health, and recovery with vital nutrients such as lactoferrin, growth factors, and prolon-rich polypeptides. Colostrum is a natural milk-like fluid produced by mammals immediately following delivery of the newborn. And while colostrum is a dairy product, it does not contain milk or lactose. So most people with lactose intolerance usually find colostrum very easily digestible and beneficial to gut health. You can use one scoop a day. You can mix it in things like coffee or mix it in shakes or even yogurt or even some of your baked food recipes. As I mentioned, has a lot of health benefits, including research demonstrating the improvement in a reduction in inflammation, promoting good gut flora, and supporting restoring leaky gut to normal permeability. And what I love best is that Equip Foods is very ethically focused. Their cows are humanely raised and ethically treated, and cows produce an excess of colostrum when nursing. So only after their babies get what they need are they able to source the excess colostrum for use in their products. There is three grams of colostrum in each scoop and one serving in comparison to main competitors has just one gram. And research demonstrates that this dose of three grams actually promotes more benefits to gut health, immune function, recovery, and vitality. So if you'd love to take care of your health, you can go to www.equipfoods.com slash Cynthia20 to get 20% off your first order. That's www.equipfoods.com slash Cynthia20. You definitely want to check this out. I've been using MitoPure for the last two years, and I've added this to my routine for multiple reasons. Number one, it's a foundational supplement for me and my family. It keeps things simple, and I know that I cannot get enough of urolithin A in my food to derive the same benefits. And if you're not familiarized with urolithin A, it's a signaling molecule, but it's also actively involved in anti-aging, energy production. And I take Timeline because of its remarkable remarkable healthy aging solution that activates key critical cellular pathways in my body 
It's a total game changer for healthy aging. I alternate between using the soft gels and powder depending on whether or not I'm traveling. And we know that restoring cellular energy is a key to enduring health. And this is concluded in a recent publication in Nature Metabolism, which is a top scientific journal identifying that newly energized cells may provide many more years of healthy life to people. Yet as we age, we know that cellular energy production naturally declines and reduces our prospects of optimal health and longevity. That's the great thing about Timeline is you can restore cellular energy and support healthy aging. I've noticed the biggest improvements in my energy and sleep levels. We know that Timeline is clinically shown to give our cellular energy generators the mitochondria new power. And when taken daily, it replaces aging mitochondria. So it upregulates mitophagy and rebuilds new ones or mitogenesis. Timeline is the only nutrient that can do what it does. So Timeline renews your cells to a more powerful state. My listeners can get 10% off your first order at timeline.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off at timeline.com dot com slash Cynthia. I know you're going to love this product. Now, do you find if you have women that have been chronic scale watchers, chronic calorie counters, I would imagine that there's a lot of fear that goes into making those and trust in you, obviously, but you know, looking at you and seeing the results that you get for your clients, obviously it, it works. So how do women kind of work through some of the emotional issues they may have with letting, I mean, a lot of it's trusting the process. And so I find in many ways, maybe they worked with someone before that let them down. Maybe they've tried so many things. They're just in this position of limiting beliefs. How do you help your clients work through that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I always tell people losing weight is the easy part. Keeping it off is the hard part, you know? And I think that people forget that maintenance requires a lot of effort. And the problem is, is that when you're in weight loss mode, you have that reward. So the effort is worth it. But when you're in maintenance mode, you're still working as hard, but you're not getting that, you know, reward every week or two with the scale moving. And as women, you know, we can never be thin enough is what I found to be the truth. You know, I may have clients that set a goal weight and hit that goal weight. And then it's always like, well, what if I could lose five more pounds? What if I could lose 10 more pounds? And typically it's that thinking that gets them in the most trouble because then they're grind, they're trying to grind down to, you know, a really unachievable goal. And even if it is achievable, in most cases, it's unsustainable and it frustrates them. And then they get frustrated. And what do they do? They give up. And instead of, you know, loving themselves to the progress in which they've made, they find themselves sliding backwards and kind of gaining it all back. So, you know, I think that women are very scared to eat. It's extremely I mean, I don't want to say funny, but it's just like, how did we get so fearful of food? And I think it's, you know, it's kind of like the old, again, the fat free, the Weight Watchers, you know, just kind of all that over portion restriction, you know, under eating that, you know, we kind of grew up with. I mean, as teenagers, you know, if we want to drop a couple of pounds, what do we do? We just don't eat, you know, and it worked for us. But as we age, those types of patterns end up doing more harm than good. So when I'm working with a client on reverse dieting, that can be the hardest part Mm -hmm. is getting them to kind of trust the process. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example and kind of show you how to implement reverse dieting. And I'll use one of my clients as an example. So I had a gal come to me and she was frustrated, stuck, not losing weight. She had about 10 more pounds that she wanted to lose. And she was walking 20,000 steps a day. She was doing a Peloton, a spin workout, you know, 45, 60 minute workout every day. She was eating 1200 calories a day and just, you know, not seeing any results. And, and I said, you know, I will work with you, but the only way I'll work with you is if you reverse diet, because I'm not going to tell you to eat 1100 calories. I can't tell you to eat less and exercise more. In my opinion, you are over exercising and under eating, which is creating your issue. And she said, okay, I'll trust you. So 
our goal was, because whenever you reverse diet, you really want to try to increase your caloric intake by about 400 calories. Um, that's typically the goal that I set for my clients. So when she started at 1200 calories, I said, we're going to focus on maintenance. I want to work over the next three months. Sometimes it can take, you know, four weeks. Sometimes it can take, you know, six months. It's very, depending on how adaptive your metabolism is and how metabolically flexible you are, it can take a short term or it can take a really long time to add that 400 to 500 calories back. So I said, my goal is to get you to 1600 calories. So let's build up your calories to 1600. Then once we get to that point, kind of stay there for about four weeks, then we would put her back in a deficit. Okay. Cause right now she is, you know, her metabolism is at 1200 in order for her to lose weight. She would have to, you know, basically eat less, which is again, it's not sustainable. It's not good for her. So if we build her up to 1600 calories and create that as her new metabolic rate, then we can put her back in a deficit. Mm -hmm. So that was our goal. It took us about a little over three months to build her back up. So what we did is we went from 1200 calories and we added a hundred extra calories. So we took her to 1300 calories and I teach my clients this kind of red light, green light method mm -hmm. with regards to your weight. So when you're reverse dieting or you're in maintenance, this is a concept that I've taught for the past 20 years. You always kind of want to have that red light number, you know, mm -hmm. that you're kind of checking in and I'll use myself as an example. When I get on the scale, I typically will see, you know, 140, 141, 139. Like those are the numbers that I see. It's very normal to fluctuate, you know, two to three pounds over the day. So my green light number is 140. Okay. My red light number is 143. So your green light number is kind of the average of the number that you see the most. Okay. Every once in a while, I'll see 138. That ain't my green light number, okay? <laughs> that is like, you know, my unicorn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like twice a month, I see that. So again, your green light number needs to be something that is around a lot. And so my red light number is 143. The moment I see 143, it is, Amanda, you better get your act together for the next three to four days. And what I have found is when I teach this method, you know, it allows people to, you know, dial it in for just a couple of days, get yourself back to kind of that green light number, and then you can relax again, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's how, how you can maintain your results without feeling like you're dieting mm -hmm. every single day. And so as we add the 100 calories, we make sure that we stay within our range. And typically the first 100, 200 calories is really easy to add back. A lot of times, I'll add that first 100, 200 and my clients lose weight, you know, mm -hmm. because they were so significantly under eating. So as we add hundred calories, 200 calories, we watch that the minute they hit that red light number, they back off. They take that hundred calories back off. And, you know, typically for the next three to five days, get back down to their green light and then kind of add it back. So this is an example of how that would work and how your metabolism slowly adapts to that higher caloric rate. So the first time, let's say we're up to adding, you know, 300 calories. So for this client, we're at, you know, 1500 and it takes her four days to get to her red light number. So then we back down to 1400. We get her back down to her green light. That will usually take again, three to five days, stay there. And then we go back up to 1500. Mm -hmm. This time it takes her eight days to get to her red light number. And then we play the dance again. So we back down, you know, we get her back down to her green light number and then we go back up. And then the next time it takes 15 days to get to her red light number. So you can see slowly the mm -hmm. body is tolerating those extra calories and you get to a point where eventually you don't hit that red light number, you know, and then you start to stabilize. So you know, you're at 1500 calories and you're no longer gaining anymore. So again, you want to kind of stabilize at that number. And then guess what? We go to 1600 calories and we play that dance back and forth. So for this particular client, we got her up to 1600 calories. And I was like, okay, so now it's time to put you back in a deficit to get you losing again. She said, Amanda, 
I can never eat 1200 calories again. Like, I don't know how I ever functioned on that little of food. Like I feel so much better. Yes. I still have 10 pounds. I want to lose, but I feel so much better. I have so much more variety in my diet. My exercise is more fueled. I'm sleeping better. She's like, I can't do that. So what do we do? And I said, okay, well then let's continue adding calories. Let's add another 200 calories, get you to 1800 calories. So that way we can put you back in a deficit and it's only 1400 calories. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we ended up doing. Now it took us about six months to add that many, you know, I mean, basically we added 600 calories to her metabolism. And again, the kicker is she didn't gain a pound. Mm -hmm. She stayed within her metabolic range. And then at that point, we were able to then put her back in a deficit and start making progress towards her next goal. And as you make progress, then, you know, once you, I mean, obviously, hopefully you're like seeing steady weight loss. And then once you hit a plateau, you reassess that kind of red light, green light number and start again. You know, you have to do for a lot of people, reverse dieting is the missing step for maintenance. And it's also the missing step for breaking a plateau. And I just want to talk about that maintenance piece because I know you're in the medical field. I mean, I'm there and you have thousands of clients. I have thousands of clients. And I would say on a daily basis, someone reaches out to me and says, Amanda, I did your lean program a year ago. I lost, you know, 40 pounds and went at it on my own. And over the last three months, you know, I've gained back 20 help. And what I have seen over and over is that people do not take the time to reverse diet once they reach their goal weight. You know, they dieted and they lost all the weight at 1200 calories. Well, guess what? If you don't take the time to rebuild your metabolism back up, you will gain weight at 1300 calories. And this is, was actually this whole like theory of reverse dieting and set point and metabolism was thoroughly studied in the biggest loser contestants. And I don't know if you saw that study and, you know, we may look at those contestants and say, you know, well, they just failed. They just lacked, you know, willpower. They lacked self-discipline and that's why they gained all their weight back. But in reality, unfortunately, the show mutilated their metabolism, you know, had them eating 1200 calories, exercising six hours a day, and they lost a ton of weight. And then when they got home, you know, they might eat 1300 calories and start gaining. It wasn't that it was like gluttony, like they went home and started eating all the things. They didn't. They got home, they ate just a little bit more and they started to gain the weight back and they were overwhelmed and discouraged, you know, like, holy cow. And then it just kind of ballooned out of control. And that's what happens with people that, you know, lose a ton of weight in a caloric deficit and don't take the time to rebuild their metabolism in order to maintain. And I think it's important for listeners to understand that this is still a fairly new concept, even for me to have to have been learning, because there are so many women that have broken metabolisms that are no longer metabolically flexible and they're doing all the things. And I believe them, as I know you do with your clients, this is what I'm eating. This is what I'm doing. It isn't working. And it's these subtle nuances that are so important. There's this one PhD, Lane Norton, who taught, he's very caloric calorie focused as opposed to macros, as opposed to hormones, as opposed to metabolic flexibility. And so it's my understanding that a reverse dieting actually kind of stemmed from, as you mentioned, the bro science, so a lot of bodybuilders, and it really makes sense. And, and we've had some experts on here, you know, Dr. Ben Bickman's been on several times. We've had some other leading researchers who talk about what happens to those fat cells when we lose weight. And so Amanda's really speaking to the practical applications of how to find a workaround. It's like, we have to find a detour. How do we find our way back to our metabolism? So a couple questions. I'm assuming you encourage your participants to track their macros in an app. I'm assuming that's number one. Do you have a favorite app? Because I don't. That's why I'm curious to know. Do you have an app that you think outperforms over others that you find super helpful? Well, my clients use my app. So we have a tracker built into the lean app that calculates that caloric deficit and helps re with reverse dieting. But an outside source, my favorite tracking app is Nutrinex, uh, Nutrition IX. I mean, it's not one that people talk about a lot, but it is um, has a beautiful database that is run by registered dietitians. 
and it's probably my favorite. I always say, don't take macro and caloric advice from tracking apps. You know, if you sign up for MyFitnessPal, it will almost 90% of the time put you at 1200 calories. You know, so find a professional that knows how to appropriately take into account your age, your height, your weight, your activity levels, your medical conditions, your goal weight, you know, all of those things to really determine what your caloric and macro needs are. But Nutrition IX is a really great platform. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients, and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. And secondly, do you have a particular scale? Because it sounds like one of the things that you encourage is a healthy use of the scale. And I think this is important. This is another distinction I sometimes have to retrain my clients to stay off the scale because they're so scale obsessed and they think if they don't lose weight instantaneously, it means something's not working right. And so we really have to work around that. So when you're doing the reverse diet, dieting, when you're in maintenance mode, are you, are, are your participants, are they stepping on the scale every day or is it kind of a check in every couple of days? Yeah. I have a love hate relationship with the scale. <laughs> I mean, and personally, again, in my seven week program, my clients are not allowed to weigh a measure because we dictate Mm-hmm. our lives by what that number is. We dictate our progress. You know, as you know, weight loss is not a ski mm-hmm. slope. Sometimes you have to gain a pound to lose two and progress doesn't happen overnight. So, you know, you may lose three pounds in the first week and you may gain a pound in the next week. It doesn't mean what you're doing isn't working. It's just how it works. So, but when you are doing reverse dieting and you are in maintenance, I think the scale is very important because you can put on 10 pounds before it shows up in your clothes. And again, you know, what I found in the clinical setting, working with people that have lost 150, 200 pounds, I always tell it's sometimes it's like we're a little, especially when you've lost 200 pounds, it's like, oh, well, it's just 10 pounds. I'm, I'm still down. 190 pounds, but it's almost like that's how it happens. You know, first it's just, you know, five pounds and my Mm -hmm. clothes still fit. And then it's 10 pounds. I mean, it's just slow and steady. So I feel like, I mean, in my life, this is what I have lived by. It's a hard line, Mm -hmm. you know, 143 is my hard line. Yes. Sometimes I come home from vacation and I'm at 145. I'm not saying I never go over that, but I found tremendous success in just keeping 
that very hard line, you know, with regards to what I never want to go over. Cause mm-hmm. I always say, if you never let yourself gain more than three pounds, four pounds, five pounds, you never have a weight problem again. Mm-hmm. So that is a tricky thing. You know, again, in maintenance, you do have to recognize that you're always going to gain and lose a couple of pounds every day. So I'm more of a scale fan for maintenance and reverse dieting because the goal is not weight loss than I am for weight loss. You know, I think for weight loss, you want to check in about every four weeks and look at more than just the scale, look at measurements, body composition, you know, things like that. So particular scale I like, I mean, you know, I think the most important thing is that you're using the same scale. Like don't compare your weights on different scales. I do love scales that track body composition. Mm -hmm. Um, The at-home body, you know, comp scales, they're not extremely accurate, you know, but they are accurate at tracking trends, you know? So when you see a 1% reduction in your percent body fat, that is true. Now, are you really 25% body fat? Well, that could be relative, you know? So with regards to scale, again, just consistency, don't weigh on different scales. And then if you can get one, you know, that will look at more than just your weight, I think that's beneficial. I think those are important distinctions and it makes me giggle because in cardiology, we had a lot of women who didn't want to step on the scale and the nurses would always come tell me, Mrs. So-and-so was upset, you know, she took her shoes off, put her handbag down, took off her sweat. I mean, everything to get it down to a certain amount. And then they would always say, but you don't understand. That's not what I weigh at home. And I was like, we get it. (laughs) We get it. We totally get it. Now, in terms of macros, so when your client, just so that I fully understand. So when your clients are kind of tweaking up their macro intake, Are they more focused on, I'm assuming probably protein or are they consuming larger portions of healthy fat? There's probably a lot of nuances and I'm sure we could get very granular about this, but I'm just out of utter curiosity. What does that typically look like when you gave the example of the woman who was hovering at 1200 calories for years and over exercising? I'm curious to know, was it the protein that she found more satiating when she increased that from maybe six ounces to eight ounces? Or was it a larger portion of fat? Just curious what that looked like. Cause it's easy. Obviously we know this very easy to bump up your fat portions and hit a hundred extra calories, like effortlessly, but probably more challenging. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I look at macros, I'm always teaching my clients, like we go by a percentage, you know, so a certain percentage of protein, fat versus carbs. And so when you add a hundred calories, you're kind of adding a little bit in each percentage box. So it should kind of, you know, balance out. Protein is the most important macronutrient for weight loss, and it is the most polarizing macronutrient. You know, everyone has a lot to say about protein, especially where you get it. But I know we align in the fact that women need quality animal protein, period. So that's like a whole nother podcast. But so when we are, (laughs) that I'm sure you've already done before, but when we are adding those 100, 200 calories, I definitely typically encourage my clients to, you know, add it in the extra form of more proteins and fats because Mm -hmm. proteins and fats fill you up and keep you full much longer. Now I'm not carb phobic either. I think that that's another issue, you know, is that while we recognize that carbohydrates sugar, you know, that is enemy number one with us right now. It doesn't mean all carbs are bad. And it doesn't mean that you have to eat no carbs for the rest of your life in order to see results. It's about finding that balance. It's like the right ratio, you know, of carbs, fats, and proteins kind of at each meal. So yeah, they kind of proportionately go up. Well, and it's interesting because I I think on so many levels, and I know you also speak to this, like bioindividuality rules. There are some of us that digest fattier meat better than others. There are some people who do better with a higher protein diet. I think what I always come back to is women who want to lose weight and then they have a, they have a a very carb centric focused diet. You know, I have quite a few people that are plant-based in my current intermittent fasting group. And it's been a challenge for my team and I to coach them because you know, if you aren't eating animal-based protein, it is very hard to get to those protein macros and stay lower carbohydrate. It doesn't mean ketogenic, but, you know, we really have been spinning our heads trying to make sure that we're supporting these individuals. But I always tell them like, if you're not eating enough protein, then you're eating too many carbs. And if you're eating too many carbs, you're not hitting your protein intake. And so we go back and forth all the time. It's really 
kind of a challenge. I don't know if that's been something that you've experienced with your own clients working with. Yeah. You know, I tell my plant-based clients, I'm like, listen, your protein needs are no different than mine. Mm -hmm. You just choose to make it a little bit harder to get your protein in. Mm -hmm. And again, the thing that frustrates me, and I know there's some very well-intended, you know, vegans out there that are all about animal rights and, you know, and I totally support that. But if you think that being a vegan is the healthiest way to eat, then you, I just personally feel like you've been missing informed. You've watched the wrong documentary. You know, you've listened to the wrong person because I just feel like quality animal protein is a vital, plays a vital role in especially women's health. So I agree. I have a hard time, you know, working with that client base. And here's the thing. I mean, I guess for me, if I was, you know, dead set in being a vegan or whatever, I would probably eat a lot of tofu. I'd eat a lot of tempeh. I'd eat a lot of you know, edamame and, you know, hemp hearts and all these things. But then they have, they're like, oh, I don't like all that. No, I'm not. I don't want to eat tofu. I don't want to, you know, that stuff is disgusting. I'm like, what the heck are you eating? You know? So I am a plant-based eater. Okay. Mm -hmm. 75% of my plate twice a day is plants. All right. But I'm also focused on kind of getting that quality animal protein in. And like I said, you know, it doesn't matter where you get your protein, you still need it. So, and your ability to balance out those carbohydrates, you know, with your protein, that kind of appropriate ratio gets a lot more challenging. It's not impossible, but um, definitely takes a lot more effort. No, and I, I was telling a 32-year-old client that I have trying to explain to her that what I ate in my 20s and 30s is definitely very different than what I eat in my 40s and into my, I just turned 50 this year, but you know, into my 50s. And so really hoping that women understand that as we become physiologically more insulin resistant, I don't care how fit you are. That is a byproduct of the loss of estrogen. You know, as we're heading into perimenopause and into menopause, if you're not replacing some of those hormones, you become physiologically much more prone to insulin resistance. And if the bulk of the population is already, you know, metabolically inflexible, the other piece that I think is always fascinating is that we hit our peak bone and muscle mass in our twenties and thirties. And then there's something called sarcopenia. And so this is a lot of what Amanda is alluding to is that we are losing muscle mass with each decade. And if you're you're not hitting those protein macros, if you're not lifting heavy things, if you're not sleeping and, and dialing in on stress, it's going to make it harder for you to be metabolically flexible. You're going to be skinny fat or worse yet, you will be overly fat, which we don't want. We don't want our muscle to be overridden by adipose tissue. And so that's why I'm so grateful that, you know, we have this platform where we can connect and, and share, you know, information that's so helpful for women in terms of being north of 35 or 40, you're, and you're, you're I don't know if you mentioned, but you know, protein utilization mm-hmm. decreases as we age, mm-hmm. you know? So when we're 20, we utilize potentially a hundred percent of the 20 grams of protein we just consumed. But when we're 50, 60, 70, we consume 20 grams of protein, but we don't utilize it all, which mm-hmm. makes our protein needs even higher as we age, because our body doesn't utilize it as efficiently as it used to, which is just, again, another reason why, you know, the way that you eat when you're 20 and what you can get away with when you're really young is significantly different than, you know, the way that you eat and treat your body as you age. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Last question for you. Now, when you're working with women that are in those perimenopause years, five to 10 years preceding menopause into menopause, do you find, and this is a question that came up in one of my monthly groups when I mentioned that we were going to connect, do you find that it's harder for women to build muscle? Because I'm starting to see that, whether it's the loss of testosterone, the loss of estrogen or estradiol, even with doing all the things, it seems that a lot of women struggle just to maintain muscle in those years. Do you find that to be problematic for your clients as well? Yeah. And I think it comes down to exactly what we just said, Mm -hmm. you know, because you are trying to build muscle. Obviously we need adequate protein in order to build muscle, but you're still eating the same amount of protein you did, you know, 30 years ago. And it's hard. You know, I always say that most women over 50 need at least 75% of their weight in protein. So if you weigh 200 pounds, you know, that's 150 grams of protein, which it's a big number. It's not easy to get in. And when you add in intermittent fasting, 
which we know is a really powerful health strategy, it can make it even trickier. And that's why, you know, the number one thing that I teach my clients and lean is the importance of prioritizing protein. You know, know your protein goal divided by three, make sure you're hitting that meal minimum. You know, if you need a 90 grams of protein, then you better be getting 30 grams three times a day. And if you simply do that, you don't have to track all the other macros because Mm A, you're going to be full and satisfied because you're going to be eating a big, you know, chunk of quality protein and B, you know, you're going to hit the macro that means the most. Mm -hmm. No, I have to agree. And I find most women, when they kind of fall into my lap, they're probably consuming 50 or 60 grams of protein a day. And when I say them, we want to aim for a hundred. They're always like, how do I do that? How do I fast and do that? And I always say, I can tell you what I do. I have two very solid meals where I try to hit 40 to 50 grams of protein. Some days I have to throw in a protein shake and there's no shame in that. Like, let's be very transparent that we all have busy days where maybe it's a day where I'm doing a lot of recording and it's just, you know, I've got kids to take to carpool because they're not driving yet. Thank God that's coming. But it's definitely one of those challenges that I think, you know, even those of us that are in this space talking about these things that we acknowledge that if you're working within an intermittent fasting space, you know, how do you navigate that successfully? Well, Amanda, let my listeners know how to connect with you. You've got a great YouTube reels, TikTok. I've been enjoying your TikTok videos in particular. How can they connect with you? How can they find you? I'm everywhere. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm literally on every platform. Yeah. So my name's Amanda Nybert. Most of my tags are Amanda Nybert RD. Check out my website. I actually um, have a guide to reverse dieting in my shop that you can purchase. And it gives you the specifics of implementing reverse dieting. It gives you the chart to fill out every day. So you know exactly what tweaks you need to be making, your red light, your green light number. So that resource can be really helpful. But yeah, check it out. Follow along. I am of the mindset where I'm an open book, very much like Cynthia. I'm going to give you all the tools. You know, people usually sign up to work with me because they need the support and accountability. And that's what me and Cynthia typically provide for our clients. That's for sure. Awesome. Thank you again for your time today. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes.